is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to the Decode Podcast. It's the Potato Advocate Series where we try and break down what has been happening in the world of politics and kind of run through what is making news and what is not making news. Now, this week we want to talk about an issue that really fits the mould, trying to decode what exactly is going on with this blue between the government and the crossbench MP. So now the crossbenchers, they're the independents, the smaller minor parties. We're talking about David Pocock in the Senate, Jackie Lambie in the Senate. We're talking about the Teals in the House of Representatives, Allegra Spender, Dr. Monique Ryan, Zali Stegall, Adam Bant, so on and so on. And they sit on the crossbench. They're going to negotiate with this new Labor government. The Labor government does have a majority in the lower house, the House of Representatives. So they're all good there. We'll still hear lots of noise from these independents and see what is happening on the crossbench. But in the Senate, they are actually going to be relying on these crossbenchers to pass legislation to negotiate all that sort of stuff going forward. So they are going to have to maintain a relationship with the crossbench, likes of Pocock, Lambie, Hanson, etc. that we just mentioned. The interesting thing is they have just kicked off their new relationship with the crossbench by kneecapping all of their staff. So previously, the independents and the crossbenchers had four electorate officers, people in their electorate doing all that sort of stuff, answering phones, emails, lining up appointments, etc., etc. Then they were allowed four advisors on top of that. So essentially they had eight staff. And those four advisors they could use to read through legislation, organise stuff, talk to people, sit down in meetings, etc., etc. Now, Albanese and his government have revealed that they are cutting the staffing allocation to the independents from four all the way down to one. Understandably, that hasn't been received particularly well by the crossbench who are saying that, well, you're wanting us to run across all of this legislation. There's lots being talked about that's going to happen. We're talking climate change policy, federal ICAC, all of this sort of stuff, the unfolding situation in Ukraine, lots of stuff that they need to be across. And now they've had their staff members reduced from four to one. There's been big blow-ups, as you might have seen in the media. They're not happy at all. Zali Stegel hit out big time at the government, as we mentioned last week in the news from the trough about how Albanese was happy for independents to have all of these staffers when they were holding the Morrison government to accountable. But now that he is in government, he's not happy for them to have staffers. Jackie Lambie's come out and said, if we can't go through the legislation, how can we get on with it? I'm not voting for something that I can't go through. That's what she said a couple of weeks ago. Pocock's made a similar point as well. So they're all blowing up and they're currently negotiating with the government to see what's going to happen if they can get their staffing allowance back. The Labor government is saying that there's cost concerns. Obviously, they want to trim the fat, make sure that the costs are as low as possible. We're talking 3 to $5 million, which is an interesting one for a government that does spend a huge amount of money, 3 to $5 million to help independent voices participate in democracy. Seems like an interesting 
interesting one. And the other one is fairness that, you know, the Labor Party and the Liberal Party and the Nats, they only get four electoral staff and an independent is getting eight. So they're saying it's not fair. Again, they're a much bigger machine, so it's an interesting argument from the Labor Party, and that's the one that they're trying to push. Now, they are negotiating, the government and the crossbenchers, about the staffing allocation. So we're going to run through why it's so important, and we've got an expert who is joining the podcast today to help talk us through it. He was one of the most notable crossbenchers the nation's ever seen. It's Tony Windsor. He was part of the hung parliament the Gillard government had from 2010 to 2013. Lots of headlines, lots of drama. Lots of legislation passed. That's the other thing that's worth mentioning. And he was an independent MP in federal parliament for 12 years before he retired. He was an independent MP in state parliament as well. So he's quite across the daily workings of all this sort of stuff and negotiating with the government. And he's going to jump on the line now to talk to us about what is going on with this staffing cuts fight and where it could all end up. Tony Windsor. Thanks very much for joining us. Oh, pleasure, Wendell. How are you guys going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good. Uh, we're getting back into things now. We've got a new government um, just figuring out the lay of the land and just trying to stay on top of things. But the news cycle seems to be ramping up. Plenty going on. And, um, yeah, we're already seeing some uh, bickering in the media, which we're starting to be accustomed to see. So starting to get back into it. One of the big things that we've noticed over the last couple of weeks is – What's going on between the crossbench and the federal government? There's been these cuts to staffing, and we want to talk to you about that. But before we get into that, just a little bit of a background for the listeners. would love if you could tell us about how and why you ended up in politics and your story as an independent in state parliament and federal parliament as well, as one of the most famous independents and crossbenchers the nation's seen, Tony. Well, I don't know about that. I was probably an accidental politician in the sense of, I was trying to help another guy way back in 1990, I think it was, and uh, people kept saying to me, well, why don't you have a go? And in the end, I did Yeah. Uh, and was elect- elected to the state parliament in uh, in 1991 and then federal in 2001. But I was always interested in what was going on, and I, you know, I was one of those guys that used to sit up the back and very rarely say anything. Uh, but always knew more. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, there's a few of us about experts, we're called. But uh, you know, eventually I plucked up enough enough courage to uh, to have a go, and I was uh, elected as an independent yep. way back then. And uh, I think I, it was about eight electoral periods that I was elected for. So yeah, and I, I really enjoyed the work. I I I thought the work was. Uh, uh, it was really interesting and a, you know, a great privilege. Yeah, there you go. And we, look, we've got maybe some more accidental politicians as well, people who, as you said there, think about things a little bit more rather than just shooting from the hip and letting the mouth go and trying to generate headlines. People who are, have decided they want to have a crack and you know they've had enough of what they've seen from two of the major parties. You were one of the six crossbenchers elected in 2010, and that was a hung parliament. You know, a lot of the storylines around that was that there was going to be chaos and there was going to be all sorts of stuff going on. But a bit of an unknown fact, I think, is that it was the most legislation passed per day of any government during that parliament. Hung parliament, how full on was that? Well, it was very full on, uh, the very interesting time. But but I think it was a good indicator that uh, hung parliaments are actually better for the political process rather than worse. The, the major parties will always paint a hung parliament mm. as being somewhat chaotic because they don't like it. They don't like scrutiny. They don't like you know, the extra assessment they have to do. They're comfortable if they can just uh, come up with a bill mm. and uh, and just ram it through the parliament. So that's their comfort zone. Well, 
I think one thing that the last election demonstrated is it's not the comfort zone of the general population. Mm. They want a little bit more scrutiny and a bit more transparency in terms of what goes on in their parliaments, and they voted for it. And I think that's why there's, you know, there's a massive crossbench federally at, at this particular time. The, you know, the, I think the parliament starts next week. So I think you'll see a lot more scrutiny of what, what's actually going mm. on, irrespective of that the, the government ha- has a, a slim majority in the lower house. It doesn't have a majority in the in the Senate, so mm. there'll be a lot more scrutiny take place, and uh, I think it'll be a good thing for the political process. Yeah, yeah, they're going to need that crossbench in the Senate, and yeah, it is interesting that you said a third of Australians voted for a non-major party at this last election, and it, it does, as you said, that the major parties, they're obviously they don't like, and they're not a big fan of having the independents and different voices, and it's I think it's in contrast to that mantra that we hear from both of the major parties about a fair go and equality and fairness and all that sort of stuff, doesn't seem to apply to independents having a go and deciding actually they want to have a crack at this as well and let's make a level playing field and we're going to talk about the staffing cuts and how that fits into that level playing field but just as a bit of an idea of how things work obviously there would have been no such thing as an average day in parliament in that hung parliament that you were in but in terms of days and weeks what did it kind of look like when you were dealing with the government getting notified of legislation getting across it trying to process everything do media all that sort of stuff how did that kind of look and how did that work for you? Oh, well, they were busy days, and uh, you know, obviously, you needed good staff uh, both in the electoral office and mm. uh, and also in in parliament to work through the various issues. But I made it very clear during that at the start of the hung parliament to Julia Gillard that if the government of the day tried to rush things through, which they always do, they'll, they'll come to you and say, "Oh, there's something very urgent, <laughs> critical to the nation. It's got to be. It's got to be going through today." Just sign off on it, would you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the point I made, and I'd make the suggestion that the crossbenchers that are sitting there now, uh, I made the point to that that if we're rushed, if we haven't got time to get on top of the legislation, the vote will be no. Mm. So that's that's the answer. If we've been given enough time to give it due consideration, there'll be a, a considered answer. Yeah. Uh, given. And that's how we worked. And I'd suggest the current uh, crossbenchers, particularly in the Senate, where their vote is required uh, for anything to happen, I'd be saying to them, just slow down, boys. Mm. Let's let's do this properly rather than rushed. You know, yep. One staff member is not enough. Yep. Uh, will never be enough, yeah. in the, particularly in the Senate. So let's get it right and then we'll, we'll do the, the required work. Yep. Yeah, because I can imagine in the parliament that you were in, it would have been pretty useful having a team of people to help you out with all this sort of stuff. How big was your team at the time? Well, I always had three people in Canberra. Yep. Uh, when we were down there, I, you know, the current argument that's going on, I've publicly said that I, I, I think four for independence in the lower house is probably uh, too many, but one is an insult. Yeah. Uh, to them, and I'd suggest that the, you know, the Prime Minister should revisit that. You know, I got on very well with Anthony Albanese. I had a lot to do with him during the, that hung parliament, and I like the guy. Yep. Uh, but I think this is you, you can't be running around uh, publicly saying you know, we're going to have a lot more transparency, scrutiny, all of these things, uh, a different parliament to the old one, it'll all be done differently. And then say to the, uh, the people who are going to be helping you make decisions, hopefully good ones, that they can do it with someone that's just there to answer the phones. Well, that's not going to work. They'll need more people than that to get across the legislation and do it properly. And the, here again, I say that it just seems to me that if you were listening to the electorate when they voted this time, they want more scrutiny, not less. They want absolute mm. transparency, not stuff rushed through. So 
the people are voting for it, and I think you know, the, the Prime Minister should mm. probably breathe in and, and say, well, yeah, I think there's a point here, particularly in the Senate. I, you know, I was talking to a, one of the crossbench senators yesterday on the phone, and I, and I, and I said, to, said to this person, I won't say whether it's a male or a female, <laughs> but I said, well, what I'd be doing in your position is saying to the government, well, you bring your legislation in, and if we've had time to give it due consideration, we'll vote in the parliament mm. after we've heard all the debate. Now, normally what happens, and governments prefer to know whether their bill's going to get passed or not, even before they introduce it into the parliament. And that's because an embarrassment thing, isn't it? That they don't want yeah. to be seen to lose, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people think, oh, the, the parliament's about debating issues and then the decision is made. That's not how it actually works. It should work that way, in my view, but it doesn't. People, the crossbench and others tell the government of the day, how they're going to vote on a particular issue before the debate even takes place. So my suggestion to this particular Senate is if they're going to cut you to pieces with staff, don't tell them how you're going to vote. Mm. Just say, we'll listen listen to the debate, we'll listen carefully, and at the end of the debate, we'll do as we're supposed to do, make a decision based on the information that was presented during the debate. Yeah, right. Uh, None of this will give you early warning, we'll tell you whether we'll vote for it, we'll tell you what we want as an amendment. None of that. If they're not going to provide you with staff, you sit there and listen to what they have to say on this. If it sounds logical, support it. If it doesn't, vote no, but don't tell them. Yeah, right. And uh, I think that might uh, help bring some people to their senses. You know, people like David Pocock, Jackie Lambie and the new senator from Tasmania and others, they're going to, they'll find it impossible to maintain the pace required to make reasonable decisions mm. if, in fact, they've got one person who's there to answer the phones. Yeah. Just ridiculous, and I think you know, most people would understand that. Yeah, yeah. And that sounds like pretty sound advice that you gave the senator you were speaking to. Do you reckon that would put enough of a spook into the government to get them to think about backtracking? Governments hate losing legislation. Mm. And, uh, you know, we often hear people, the Labor Party, say, oh, during the hung parliament, as you said, were the most bills that were ever passed in the legislative arrangement. And uh, I don't think they lost a vote on the floor of the House, uh, a substantive one anyway. So that's a bragging point. And oppositions love it when the government can't get something through. So Mm. I'd be using that as a bargaining chip Yep. Not to demand you know, staff that you don't really require, but to demand adequate staff mm. that would be befitting of people who are going to be making you know, key decisions mm. for the nation. Now, I wanted to run a couple of the government's arguments past you on this one to get your opinion. Jason Clare, he was the campaign spokesman for uh, the Labor Party during the election campaign. He came out this week telling Sky News that if you're a Labor MP or a Liberal MP or a Nat, you get four staff. If you're a crossbench MP, you get eight. That seems to me to be a little bit out of whack. I mean, I kind of think here, you know, when you bring a new team into a sporting league, right, you know, the Redcliffe Dolphins up there or GWS when they came into the AFL or any of these new teams, you have to give them a little bit more support, a little bit more concessions, all that sort of stuff to make them competitive, to allow them to compete with the monsters that are the Roosters and the Storm and Geelong and all that sort of stuff. What did you make of Jason Clare trying to pretend like, it's all about fairness, making sure that the independents should have the same amount of staff as a uh, Labor or a Liberal or a Nats uh, party that has that huge machine behind them. The major parties have, as you say, massive machines behind them in government. They mm. have departments, they have the ministerial staffers, all available to the various backbenchers that may pay some interest 
and what the legislation is. But but normally, legislation, uh, whether shadow in opposition or in government, mm. Uh, they follow the advice of the minister or the shadow minister uh, via the party room. So they don't have to do the scrutiny that's required of a, of a, of a crossbencher who's there to make decisions. It's, crossbenchers really have uh, 22 portfolios to, to cover. A shadow minister has one and, uh, and additional staff. A minister has one and a massive staff mm. plus departments to uh, give them appropriate advice. So I don't think the argument holds water and I don't think Jason would no. either he, he would have seen the you know, the amount of work that's that had to be done an, an independent has to assess each piece of legislation on its merits that's that's what they're in parliament to do mm. our constitution never mentioned the word party but the people have joined into parties and corrupted the process in a sense so every member of parliament is is supposed to consider each piece of legislation Within the major parties, they rely on their ministers and shadow ministers to tell them what to do. Mm. So there's a massive difference in terms of uh, what an independent is supposed to be doing in terms of legislation. And those pieces of legislation, they're not all kind of half-page emails or, you know, a couple of pages that you can quickly skim through over your morning coffee, are they? No, not at all. Most of them are very very involved. Some can be 100 pages or more. Mm. You know, just imagine the amount of work that's got to go into if, if a, a federal ICAC is put into place. The legal work that's got to go into that. And for someone who's going to vote yes or no on particular sections of it, someone's got to actually have done the, the work mm. and been able to find out what that in fact means in terms of practice if, in fact, it was passed as law. Mm. So the government and opposition MPs can always hide behind, yeah, I, I, I spoke about this in the caucus meeting, but I was outnumbered by the city libs or the mm. you know, city labour or, you know, that's the, the old excuse that mm. I tried hard for you, but I just didn't get, didn't have the numbers and politics is a numbers game. Well, yeah. They're right about it being a numbers game, and every number should be able to get on top of the legislation they're actually going to be voting for. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, I mean, look, I you know it takes me weeks to read a hundred pages of a novel um, before bedtime, so I don't know how people should be expected to read a hundred pages of pretty technical legal legislation quickly and fastly without a team. The other argument that I've heard from the Labor Party is that they're saving a bit of money, right? You know, a government that's going to bring through the previous government's stage three tax. Cuts, which will be, I think, costing to the tune of $15 billion in 2024, and they're directly going to proportionally affect upper income and upper middle income earners. What do you make of the argument that cutting these staffers is basically cutting the fat and ensuring some savings of to the tune of 3 to $5 million a year? Is that a good investment for our democracy? Well, as I said earlier, I think four in the lower house, in the House of Representatives, four, four staff members is probably too many, but one one is not enough. So I think there's got to be some negotiation there. So there probably is room for some degree of savings, but to say it's all about savings is just a nonsense. Uh, you know, I think Scott Morrison had 23 press secretaries of some ridiculous <laughs> number. You know, they wouldn't even be able to talk to each other during the day. The ministers, the prime minister's offices and the various you know, departments, there are massive staffing mm. arrangements, absolutely massive. There's a whole range of ways in which advice can be filtered into the parliamentary process, paid or unpaid. 
and then of course you've got all the lobbyists that are hanging around the door, yep. uh, willing to, willing to pay for the for their say as well. So I think what happened at the last parliament was people voted for a lot of independence mm. because they they want politics to be done differently to what it's been done in the past. If you want to just play the game and cut these people out of the game through lack of staff. Uh, I think that could react quite badly against, uh, or in this case, the Labor Party at the next election. Yeah. No, I don't think I don't think it's got anything to do with money. If it had something to do with money, the stage three tax cuts that you're talking about, they would revisit them. They mm. should revisit them in an inflationary environment. It, it it is not good policy. I know the government would say, "Oh, we went to the polls on that. We went to the polls on that." There are going to be many things that they went to the polls on, promised people that they're going to have to revisit, mm. and the 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 biggest one is that is the tax cuts. They should be revisiting those. That's where the money, the savings, can be made, mm. uh, rather than fiddling around whether someone's got a job or not. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, just wanted to ask, in terms of they're negotiating at the moment and they're going back and forth. Do you think, as you said, they have that balance of power and their crucial vote in the Senate? Do you think there will be some kind of admission from the Labor Party and some backtracking on these staffing cuts? I'd be highly surprised <laughs> if there wasn't. Mm. Because if, in fact, the crossbench senators sit there, listen to the legislation, not tell anybody how they're going to vote mm. until the, the debate's taken place, that'll put the frightness through any government, mm. through their whole program, because they're, they're not used to that. That's how it should be done. It hasn't been done, and, and I was guilty of the same thing during the hung parliament for what I thought were good reasons, but we did let the government know that we would support this or not support mm. that. And when we said that we wouldn't support something, quite often it wasn't even introduced into the parliament, so the general public never never heard about it. Mm. Aside from the staffing cuts, and we'll see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks, generally are there any other things that you're really keeping an eye on with the crossbench or things that we can expect or any kind of interesting stuff that you think might come up over the next little while? Well, I think the best thing, and my advice to some of them, because I was tied up with mm. Climate 200 during the campaign, uh, my advice is just represent your people. Forget mm. about the dogma and the left and the rights and the indifference. Just represent your people. And that, that might mean you're representing things you don't personally believe in mm. uh, on occasion. That's fine. You're not there to be the, the, the arbiter of all goodwill and knowledge. You're there to represent those who haven't got the time to go to parliament. Mm. And, and, and they need to be represented. It, and uh, reflect that through the system. And you know, these people, the new independents I'm talking about, all voted in on uh, transparency, scrutiny, uh, an independent uh, commission against corruption, mm. uh, action on climate change. So there's an agenda there that they can follow. And I'll, I'll be following that very closely because I think a lot of those things are critically important, not only to their futures, but to the future of all of us. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like pretty sound advice, Tony. And um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what can happen over the next couple of years and what can kind of be achieved. Thanks very much for jumping on the line to us today and taking the time to explain and walk us through what's been going on and how it's potentially all going to play out. Okay, no, thanks, Wendell. I've always followed you guys with, <laughs> with interest. I did know for some time you argued that you were the oldest uh, independent newspaper in Australia. Oh, look, uh, Tony, think- we still are, we still are, mate. We just report the facts as they come along, and you know, <laughs> I'm not sure what some of this other stuff that we get labelled with is. We just, we just keep rolling on. We're just reporting the news, and uh, that's that's what we'll keep doing. Well, I think I think you do a very good job, and I thank you for it. And then you introduce a, a 
bit of humour into the process as well, which is always important. Uh, cynicism and irony and sarcasm actually <laughs> helps people get on top of the, the process from time to time. So good on you. Thanks very much, Tony. Much appreciated for your time today. We'll let you get back to it. Doesn't sound like you're phoning in from uh, a boardroom in an inner city somewhere. So um, we'll let you get back to it. Okay. No, I'm in the middle of a paddock. Uh, uh, just, yeah. getting some, just getting some weaners in. Yeah, it sounds good. Thanks very much, Tony. Okay, Wendell. All the best.